You know, it's my joy to be able to share with you this morning. My name is Glenn, and I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time, we give you a really warm welcome. If it's not your first time, we kind of give you a lukewarm welcome. <laughs> it's a strange thing to say, isn't it? The warm welcome is reserved for those who are new. Um, <laughs> So odd. Um, and a special welcome as well to those who may be watching online. And uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 21. We're starting our run-up towards Easter. And, um, and next weekend is Palm Sunday, and I'll be speaking the kind of the second part of this message that I'm going to share this morning. So we're going to look at the triumphant entry this morning, which uh, many churches will leave until next week. So we're a little bit ahead, um, but I'm looking forward to sharing next week as well. But let's just read one verse, a very famous verse from Matthew 21 and uh, verse 9. Here we go, make sure my clicker's working, wonderful. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. No one is loved and hated more than Jesus. No one is loved and hated more than Jesus. A a man who was born some 2,000 years ago in the backcountry, tiny little town to a poor, single, teenage mum who later married and then had, had more children and Joseph, his earthly dad, passed away. Jesus is the head of the family then, the, the eldest son, trained to be a construction worker. Please, for those of you who still have this idea that Jesus was a, a, a carpenter, kind of stuck in his workshop all day, carving beautiful pigeons and, and, tree and, 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 and chairs and tables, that is not what a carpenter did at that time. A carpenter was a construction worker. Again, take the image of Jesus with blonde hair, blue eyes, white bathrobe, blue sash with birds landing on his arms. Have you seen those pictures? Like, I haven't seen many constru- Jewish construction workers doing that. Have you shook hands with somebody like in Britain, a bricklayer? You shake hands with them, you feel like you're actually getting grazed. They're, they're, they're tough, and that's what Jesus would have done. He would have built houses, and, and, and at the age of 30, he hung up his tools for the last time and then went out into his world, never traveled more than a, a, a few miles, really, around from where he was born, preaching the good news of the kingdom coming. No one is hated and loved more than Jesus. No one has changed history like this single person. No city, no movement, no country has ever changed the history, the human history like Jesus. Easily the most famous person to have ever lived. Jesus Christ. An icon in pop culture. There's been no uh, other person that more movies and books have been made and, and written about. Operas even. Did you know that there is a, even a Canadian kung fu movie based on Jesus? Don't Google it. I'll guarantee you it's awful. But, you know, Jesus is the most famous human being ever to have lived. Music, sports, so many different influences that Jesus has had on our culture even today, and yet most loved and most hated human being. Jesus evokes a response, 
It's a joy to be able to stand here as a pastor and share the, the good news of Jesus Christ to, as Christians, we represent King Jesus. And today we're starting our journey to the cross, if you like, as we think about Easter. And, and I want to share some, uh, some things with you this morning to start preparing your mind towards Easter. And I will guarantee you that it will not include the Easter bunny or chocolate eggs or any of the other crazy things that our culture has managed to demean Easter by including. So this is interesting. As Jesus is riding into Jerusalem here, as we've read in this verse, there are different responses to Jesus. And I want to suggest to you today that there are three basic responses in our culture that are reflected in these passages towards Jesus Christ. The first response is those that had contempt for Jesus. There were those in the city who had contempt for Jesus. There are those in our culture who have complete contempt for Jesus. Imagine, if you will, that Jesus is now riding metaphorically into your life, triumphantly entering. How do you respond? How does he move you? Because he does move people. He never said anything that was not controversial. That was bad grammar, double negative. He was always saying things that were controversial. He made audacious claims about himself. And there are those in our culture who have complete contempt for Jesus. That he's ridiculous, a complete waste of time. That that it's for the weak-minded, the uneducated, the naive. That they hold him in contempt. I don't need him. And I would agree Jesus is for the uneducated, the naive, and the weak. And I stand testimony to that. And I'm very grateful that he saves the uneducated, the naive, and the weak. And he saves those that are are more educated, less naive, and stronger. He has a complete inclusive. He saves everybody. But do you hold him in contempt this morning? Do you have the mantra that our culture has? Those that hold him in contempt. And their, their mantra is, let's eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. With no thinking about eternal consequence or eternal significance. It's all about the here and now. You live as you want to live and I'll live as I want to live and what you do is fine for you and what is good for me, I'll do. And, and you know, I'm not going to judge anybody. It's the here and now. I'll work hard and I will get success. I control my own destiny is what our culture would say. Those that hold Jesus in contempt. I'm not going to get cancer because I'm going to eat well and exercise. I'm in control of my body. Uh, My my kids are going to grow up level-headed, balanced, perfect, wonderful children because I've given them the best education and crammed them into every sporting facility I can, spending thousands on them, and they will feel that they owe me something and they won't hurt me in the future. My marriage is going to be wonderful because I've married a good-looking partner, and we date a lot. Again, I'm in control. This is the mantra of the age. I have a wonderful future ahead of me because I have degrees, and I have opportunity. If I have a problem, then I'll work on it, and I'll solve it. 
See, Pilate at that time in Jerusalem epitomized what our culture thinks. Later on, Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? Completely unaware that truth himself was standing right in front of him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what is truth, he says, looking past Jesus at the other things he believes is reality. Jesus is irrelevant. He had everything Pilate believed. I don't need God. I am my own God. That's what our culture believes and holds Jesus in contempt. Is is that you this morning? I do. I'm strong. It's down to me. But then you get a phone call. We found a lump. Your child just died in a car accident. The son and the daughter that you have been trying so hard to correct has overdosed. Your business is lost. You are not in control all of a sudden and it takes one phone call, one sitting down with a doctor to suddenly make those that feel the strongest feel the weakest. Those that feel the biggest suddenly we're reminded that we are tiny. And where do we turn then? There are some in this room who are too young to believe me. You know, I saw a t-shirt a few years ago, and uh, I have a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old almost and a 10-year-old, and I was did, wanted to buy this t-shirt, but my children said I couldn't, and this t-shirt said, I'm not young enough to know everything. I, I would have happily worn that with pride. <laughs> but some are too young to have lost faith in yourselves yet. Some of you haven't yet experienced what it's like to come to the end of yourself and realize that you have nothing to offer to solve that which is suddenly slammed into your soul. I remember I had every opportunity. My mom and dad were wonderful in giving me a great education and and uh, Jesus called me to the ministry when I was 18. I went to my pastor and I said, he was, a, he was a general superintendent of our denomination in Great Britain, a brilliant preacher. And I went to him and I said, I want to go to Spurgeon's Bible College. And uh, he said, no. I went, no, I'm sorry, I, I don't think you heard me correctly. Here's my references, if you could just sign at the bottom. And he went, no. And he pushed them back, literally pushed them back over to the table to me. He went, no, I'm not signing then. Okay, and we talked, and he explained to me in very loving but firm terms that I was not ready for Spurgeon's, and nor was Spurgeon's ready for me. And he said, go and get a degree. Go and get a proper job, is what he said. So I went and got my teaching degree, and I, was, I worked hard. I was a good student, and uh, I got a job in a brilliant school before my degree finished, and immediately I was starting to excel and progress in, in my career. I took a master's in leadership and management, and I was progressing in my chosen career while pastoring uh, a couple of different churches and involved in ministry. Can I tell you, I thought I was it. I thought I was it. And then to top it all off, just to layer the more pride on top, I then got headhunted and, uh, from a, a, an independent school in Vancouver, come and work for us as a director. I'm amazed my head fit on the plane. <laughs> we moved to Vancouver, the, I was 29, and the whole world was, was an oyster to me. It's a dream for a Brit to emigrate to Canada. 
But God has a way of reminding you how small you actually are. And I got that phone call. We found a lump, size of your fist, just underneath your rib cage, nestled up to, and it just sat right there. I didn't know I had it. I actually found out through uh, my immigration process and x-rays and and my whole world just collapsed. And there are many of you who can go, I know that feeling. And by God's grace, it wasn't what they said it was or thought it might be, which was cancer and it was something. But there was that, there was that time period. And then over the last 13 years since then, I'm 43 now, God seems to have gotten great joy at reminding of me of how small I am. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not going to stand here and go, you know, pride's not a problem for me. You know, because we all struggle with pride. But can I tell you, if you hold Jesus in contempt, what happens when that phone call comes? Who do you turn to when that child gets sick? So, first of all, there are those that hold Jesus in contempt. Secondly, there are those who wanted to change Jesus. So, first of all, we have contempt. Secondly, we have Change Jesus. Matthew 21, verse 9. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. This, this, this son of David term is very powerful. We read in the Gospels there's been twice when the crowds tried to make Jesus king and he literally hid himself. He rebuked people for uh, revealing his true identity, but now he has no problem in proclaiming to the world there would have been up to a couple of million people in Jerusalem at that time because of the Passover. This huge crowd, this bustling city, and he's coming in on a donkey with the crowd shouting, Son of David, and, and Jesus is okay with that because the Son of David term is a messianic prom- promise. It's, the, it's what the Jews believed at that time, that the warrior king was going to come and release them from the tyranny that they were under in the Romans. And so this crowd was shouting, here is our king. They were religious. They didn't hold Jesus in contempt, but they changed him. They wanted a king, but not the king that Jesus was. They wanted a warrior. They would have happily crowned him there and then. And it would have just taken a word from Jesus for that to have happened. But Jesus wasn't that kind of king. He didn't come with that kind of message. He came with a completely different kingdom message and one which they did not want. And how do we know this? This same crowd, listen to me, this same crowd that sang Hosanna, Hosanna, days later were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Because they found out that he wasn't the king that they wanted. They wanted a king on their own terms and rejected the king and the gospel that Jesus actually brought. And can I say lovingly but firmly, the church is full of people who change King Jesus and make him something that he is not. A king of our own making. I want a king on my own terms. I still want it to be about me. There are some of you who still want you to be in control for your strength to make a difference, your ability, your doing. You want God in your pocket. You want to be able to do certain things and God to stand up at attention and respond and give you back because you feel like you deserve that. It's the the karma. It's Christian karma. I do good, I get good. 
And the world is filled with, with, I don't even want to call them pastors, but people on TV and people who have written books that would happily tell you, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you give this amount of money, you send me some money, I'll send you a little prayer cloth that I've dabbed on my forehead. You stick this piece of scripture on your fridge and you say it every day, you're going to get that Mercedes Benz, my friend. How did the gospel become that? We've changed King Jesus. We still want it to be about us. And it's dangerous because when we change the gospel, you know in the book of Galatians, it's a fascinating book and I recommend you have a read of it. That's that's the Apostle Paul on a massive rant. You think, you think I'm a little bit like righteously angry this morning? Paul, he, he goes after the Galatians. It's the only letter where there is no kind of real blessing or thankfulness. He just rips into them. And why is that? It's because they're changing the gospel. They're making that Jesus and something I do. And Paul says, no, just, just Jesus. Just Jesus. God does not like to be changed. Look at this scripture in Exodus chapter 32. Parents, you're going to need to listen for this because we've got some really great parenting techniques coming up that you might want to write down. Exodus 32 verse 4 to 5. The, the backstory story is, is that Moses is up in the mountain with God and God is giving him the commandments and he's been there a long time and so the people who are waiting for him are now getting concerned and worried. Well, where is Moses? And, and they're starting to panic. So Aaron, his, uh, his associate pastor, and as I pointed out, Steve, be careful with these associate pastors. Um, Aaron said he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, listen, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They changed God. They fashioned it. They carved it. This is your God. Of the mountain, God responds vehemently. He actually wants, if you read the scripture in Exodus 32, he wants to destroy the whole nation. He said, I am going to consume them and I only need you, Moses, to build a nation from. He's furious. And Moses, this is such an amazing picture, seems to be able to calm God down and then comes down the mountain. I I like to think in my mind he came on a big Harley. I know that's not true, but I just kind of think, this is Moses, and he's mad. He's got, the, he's got the, the Ten Commandment tablets, which he smashes, and then he thunders into the camp. What are you doing? And his response is to crush down the golden calf into a powder and make them drink it. How mad do you have to be to make somebody drink powdered gold? So here's the parenting technique. I told you, you're not to go on your cell phone. I'm going to crush that thing down, I'm going to turn it into a powder, and I'm going to make you drink it. Get off the PlayStation 4. I'm going to crush that thing down, I'm going to powder it, and then I'm going to make you drink it. You stayed out too late with your boyfriend. God responds vehemently to being changed. Jesus, 
He's a king on his own terms. He comes with his own gospel, not with a message we will like sometimes. He will say, you need to do this and don't do this. You need to look and pick up the cross, that life is going to be difficult, but it's going to be a divine ruin that is going to bring a beauty that you could never, ever find in this world. It's going to be difficult, but it's a beautiful complication. It's a beautiful difficulty because you'll become more like me. And by the way, there is nothing you have done that deserves this and nothing you will do that will continue for you to deserve this. It is all about Jesus. So let's stop with the, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then God will owe me because he owes us nothing. And as we share this gospel with people, you come to Jesus, he's just going to take everything, he's going to, this is going to be great. What happens when difficulties hit? What are they going to do? They're going to drop God. If they were ever saved in the beginning, which I doubt, wrong gospel. Let's share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the real King Jesus. There were those who held him in contempt. There were those who wanted to change him. But there were those, a more beautiful way, that wanted to crown him. Verse 5, behold, your king is coming to you. I love that. Your king is coming to you, humble. To you, I'm coming humble, is what Jesus says, and mounted on a donkey. So where is the other two, the contempt and the, and the change Jesus, they want to clean up their own life. I'm going to clean up my own life and I'm going to do better and I'm going to save myself through my own strength. Well, the result of that is, is intense pride. It's the same thing. If things are going well, it's because of me, we think. If we're in those two camps, if we're part of those crowds, I did it, my health is down to me, my good kids is down to me, my future is down to me, my money is about me, my possessions are about me. And if we feel blessed by God, it's because you did something right. You faithfully read your Bible every day, therefore God blesses you. You see, this mindset is incorrect. We read our Bible because we want to know God, not to get him to like us. (laughs) And what is the result of this? If this is our mindset, then when something terrible happens, we feel like we're working hard and God has let us down. So we blame God. Or if something terrible happens, we feel like we're not working hard. The condemnation of people that I have spoken to in, in, for years who have been told, you know what, you didn't receive your healing because you didn't have enough faith and you didn't repeat that scripture often enough. Did you give enough money into the offering bag? The condemnation, you're not working hard enough for God to like you. And so we feel bitter and angry and full of guilt and shame and we feel like we have to bear our own failures and and, and our own challenges. We need to sort ourselves out but then we get to the end of ourselves and we find nothing because we actually, actually can't fix ourselves. But crowning Jesus means believing that he bears your witnesses, he belie- uh, weaknesses, believing that he bears your guilt and your shame. See, crown him, people believe, that when Jesus says, you have sinned, you are full of shame, you have guilt and frustration, but I love you and I will take it off of you and I will take it to the cross. 
He removes guilt and shame and this need to work hard to improve ourselves and it dies with him. You see, Jesus came on a donkey because his message was different. He was going to die. That wasn't part of the mindset of the people at that time. Our king is not going to go to the cross. He dies a shameful, non-kingly death. It says in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the shame of the cross. That cross and what that represents, invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans, outlawed in the fourth century. Crucifixion is where we get our word excruciating from. See, the Romans knew how to kill people. They had no problem with that. They could do it very quickly and very swiftly. But they didn't want to just kill you on the cross. They wanted to bring shame to you and your family. They wanted to destroy you. People would hang on the cross anywhere from three to four hours to nine days. Hanging, you know, it was not a cultured thing. People like you and me would avoid. It was done, it was done in public places. It was shameful to even look at people on the cross. Because they were slowly, they were slowly drowning in their own blood, pulling themselves up on their wrist, excruciating pain down their arms, so they could get a breath, and then they would sink again, and slowly they would die. Which is why so much of what Jesus says on the cross is short, because he would have gasped until he screamed, "It is finished," and he endured the shame of that cross. This King Jesus, who comes to you. And says, why are you trying to figure this out yourself, Christian? Why are you stressing and worrying? They hung there for hours, having already been scourged. Please get the kind of, you know, the Charlton Heston image out of your mind as to what scourging was like. They would use cats and nine tails, pieces of leather with glass or, or metal in there, and they would swipe it across their back and pull this way, removing organs and ribs. King Jesus. And we've made it Easter bunnies and chocolate. And why? Your king is coming to everyone. You. You. That's the gospel. When I come to the end myself and realize that I am incapable of dealing with the guilt and the shame and, the, and, and everything that comes with that, that I cannot fix myself, I can no longer hold Jesus in contempt. I'm not trying to change the gospel because my working hard doesn't seem to work. And when I come to the end of myself, faith in Jesus Christ starts when we lose faith in ourselves. And then we turn to the cross, and he makes it so simple for those who believe. Not in yourselves, but in King Jesus. And why did he do all this? See, it's so shameful and so horrible because it's a reflection of how disgusting our sin is. We don't like to talk about sin. You know, Good Friday is going to be a great service. It's a service where we can all gather together and reflect on how awful we all are. We don't like that as a culture because everything we are told is how amazing you are. But you know, and I know, when it all goes quiet and we switch off all the technology and we're just left with you and your thoughts and your soul and God, we need King Jesus. 
He loves you. On your very worst, shame-filled day. On that day when you couldn't even, you can't believe that you could go any lower. He loves you. Cares for you. Do you hold him in contempt? Do you seek to change him? Or do you bow to King Jesus and crown him and make him king in your life? You see, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, forcing people to decide. You know, his cry was, it was Hosanna and crucify from the crowd, but his cry was, you know, crown me or hold me in contempt. You you know, you, you, you bow to me or kill me. Long for me or loathe me. There's no in between. There's no middle ground with Jesus. In, in Revelation, we're told Jesus' response when, we, when he said, look, be, be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm because if you are, it's cosmic vomit. I will spew you out of my mouth. I detest lukewarmness. There is no middle ground. It's hot or cold. Which crowd are you this morning? Christians, have you gone cold? Have you forgotten your first love? Have you forgotten what the cross represents? Has it just become a symbol that we can look at and smile? How about that Easter bunny? Or is the cross something that still pulls at your heart? Do you go back to the cross in your reading? Do you go back to the cross in your home and in your quiet times? Do you reflect on King Jesus dying so that you do not have to? All of the sin, all of the punishment that you and I deserve placed upon him and dies with him. You see, Jesus refuses to be liked. Like him or loathe him. Sorry, you've got to love him or loathe him. There's no liking. He's not there to be admired. He's no one's homeboy. That drives me nuts. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Don't worry. Jesus is no one's homeboy. This is King Jesus. You either accept everything he says or you reject everything. That's what the Bible says. And so my job this morning, I'm in a win-win. I can preach like it all depends on what I say. But then I can, as the old Puritans would say, I can sleep like it all depends on him. You see, he's the one that changes hearts. And I believe right now in this room, there are people whose hearts are tender that the Holy Spirit has already been working on and you're just ready to say, crown him. Crown him, crown him, crown him with many crowns. King Jesus died for me and I know who I am. And if you're a Christian this morning, maybe it's been a long time since you've declared that. If you are holding Jesus in contempt, maybe there's just this angst inside of you that has been placed there for you to respond. Christians, don't change the gospel. The gospel is all about what Jesus did and continues to do, not your own strength. I just want to free you from that guilt and shame that comes upon you when you seem to feel like you fail. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. 
This is where it all begins and, and ends. And I just want to ask you, what, which crowd are you in this morning? Contempt, change, or crown? Let's pray. Lord, as we stand in the shadow of the cross and all that it represents, Lord, we cannot but help ourselves. We can't, we can't turn to our own glory and strength when we're faced with everything that the cross represents. You dying for us. You loving us. You coming for us. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, I would humbly ask you, invite you to work on people's hearts right now. That God, that we would be a church that declares continually and unapologetically, crown him King Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to change you and make you something you're not. Father, for those in the room who still in some way hold Jesus in contempt, Lord, I would ask you to change their hearts. Let your presence draw them to yourself. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we sing now and as Josh leads us, Father, I pray that that this song will be a declaration of our intent, a declaration of our faith and our belief. That, Lord, that this song would bless you and all that you have done for us. But, Lord, even in this song, Lord, I pray for changed hearts and spirits. Thank you, Lord.